From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Australia's relationship with China is at its lowest ebb in decades. Trade boycotts are impacting local businesses, and now the Chinese government has issued a 14-point list of grievances it has with Australia. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on the challenges Scott Morrison faces trying to navigate a tumultuous and tense moment in global politics. Paul, we've seen the trade relationship between Australia and China degrade significantly this year. So tell me, how bad has it become? Well, Ruby, not even record iron ore sales to China this week can calm the nerves of other business sectors who fear Beijing has only begun to turn the screws. Yesterday, China imposed an import ban on four Australian red meat abattoirs. That came just a day or so after it flagged plans to introduce an 80% tariff hit on Australian barley exports. The Chinese government has already announced a long list of Australian goods it's banning. It started with barley, but soon moved to other key exports like coal, timber and copper. I think we're up to about $6 billion worth of exports annually that are being blocked. Tons of Australian lobster has been left on the tarmac at a Chinese airport. The lobster reportedly is facing Chinese custom clearance issues. Then we saw extraordinary scenes with literally tons of Australian lobster stuck on the tarmac at Chinese airports as another ban was extended to fresh seafood on quarantine grounds. Immediate bans from November the 6th on all Australian imports of barley, grains, wine, timber, coal, lobsters and copper ore. And recently the Chinese government has uh, raised the stakes again, ordering importers to stop purchasing Australian wine. The market there is worth about a billion dollars to our local growers. And it's not just goods that are threatening our economic relationship. The prospect of one million Chinese tourists a year returning to our shores, well, they're bleak. As are the numbers of Chinese students in our universities and colleges. That sector alone is worth $13 billion a year. Mm, So things aren't looking Good, Paul. And last week, Scott Morrison went to Japan, which is a country that has also had a a strained relationship with China. So what impact did that trip have on Australia-China relations? Well, Ruby, there's no doubt the pandemic-defying trip to Japan last week was to cement a reciprocal access agreement for our military. And it certainly antagonised Beijing The fact that the PM went personally rather than Zooming a meeting, I think, even underscored this. Not that the Prime Minister will admit to it. Indeed, he's full of naive assurances to the contrary. Um, We've got a comprehensive strategic partnership with them, our trade with them, um, while there are tensions in a number of particular areas currently, uh, it is still at at very high levels, record levels. However, former Prime Minister John Howard in an AsiaLink podcast had a reality check for Scott Morrison. Um, So, Mr Howard, um, firstly, uh, thank you for the interview. Pleasure. The podcast was released just before the Prime Minister's much-hyped Japan trip and, according to Howard, the only way to manage the Australia-China relationship is to have a good relationship 
leader to leader. Look, you've got to have a good personal relationship. And the Chinese and the, the, the key to our relationship is, is to accept that a country of Australia's size and everything, what matters to the Chinese is the relationship between our head of government and their head of government. I remember when Bob Carr... Howard told interviewer Don Greenlees his early advice to Julia Gillard soon after she became PM was to get to Beijing as soon as possible because, Howard says, a head-to-head meeting with the Chinese leadership, that's what matters. Have you given the same advice to Scott Morrison? Oh, yes. Yeah, I have. Right, and so Scott Morrison hasn't had one of those head-to-head meetings since becoming Prime Minister. Why is that? Well, the obvious answer, it's because relations are so frosty and no one's on speaking terms. And the way things are going, Morrison will be the first Australian PM since Billy McMahon in the early 70s not to wrangle an invitation to visit Beijing. Well, on his return from Tokyo, the Prime Minister had a virtual appearance at the Business Council's annual general meeting. And there, Morrison told business leaders worried about their continuing prospects uh, in dealing with China and doing business with China. Well, he said he was always willing to pick up the phone, but he wasn't ready to attend a meeting with China that would trade away any of Australia's interests or values. In other words, it had to be on his terms. And so what is the effect of all of this on the relationship, Paul? Because, of course, we recently heard about this list of grievances that the Chinese embassy has towards Canberra. How seriously should we be taking that? Well, it's pretty serious when the Chinese embassy, in a sense, leaks or or gives unofficially a list of grievances to the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Some of those were just critical of the fact that our free press writes, um, you know, uh, highly critical uh, articles about China. I think any prime minister would dismiss those. But it also goes to the way in which our government has antagonised Beijing, foreign interference laws and the way we're holding up... um, foreign investment review decisions, all of these things actually point to China's belief that um, Australia is being antagonistic and sees China as an enemy. But I've got to say it's one thing for the Prime Minister to dismiss a list of grievances from the embassy in Canberra as unofficial, but it's entirely a painful reality when they are accompanied by unofficial trade bans as well. But what's uh, hindering Scott Morrison's ability to repair the relationship, Ruby, is the uncompromising antagonism of the anti-China hawks in his own government. We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. 
I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest, Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Paul, let's talk more about the attitudes towards China within the coalition ranks, because there are a number, as you say, of influential MPs who are agitating on this issue, aren't there? That's true, and it's instructive to look at the Wolverines. Now, that's a nickname they gave themselves. It's a group of MPs formed to speak out against China's expansion. And while it has a couple of Labor members, most are Liberals or Nationals, And leading Conservative backbencher Andrew Hastie, well, he's a foundational member. Now, Hastie is a former Special Air Services Commander in Afghanistan, and he's also chair of the Influential Joint Parliamentary Committee on Intelligence and Security. Well, last year, he was condemned by Beijing for comparing China to the rise of Nazi Germany. And that's a sentiment that was repeated by veteran Liberal and former Abbott government minister Erica Betts. What did Erica Betts say? Well, Betts told the NCA Newswire service last week that Australia should boycott the 2022 Winter Olympics in China because of the treatment of the Uyghur population there and the crackdown on protests in Hong Kong. Terrible abuse of human rights, be it to the Tibetans, to the Uyghurs, to Christians, to Falun Gong, to their ripping up of the UN-sanctioned international agreement with Britain about Hong Kong and the way they're treating the Hong Kong... He said the similarities with the 1936 Berlin Olympics are too big to ignore. They do not deserve the prestige and privilege of hosting such an important international uh, forum. We have a... And that's not all, a bit. In an eerie return to the Cold War era of McCarthyism... Last month in Senate, estimates called on three Chinese Australians to unconditionally denounce the Chinese Communist Party dictatorship. I'm not asking you to support, I'm asking you to unequivocally condemn. Because unless we condemn these activities, they'll just keep on going. It'd be like somebody saying, oh, I don't support the Holocaust. No, we have to condemn unequivocally the Holocaust. And a similar situation is happening... This racial profiling calling into question the loyalty of Australia's 1.3 million of Chinese heritage drew no rebuke from the Prime Minister. Mm. And so where does Scott Morrison fit into this? Do we know what he makes of, of statements like this from people like Erica Betts? Well, what you have to remember is that Morrison only has a majority of two in the House of Representatives, and in fact he has no strong faction backing him within the parliamentary Liberal Party, so he can't afford to pick fights. But for all the virtue signalling from the anti-communist brigade in the Parliament, there is an irony that can't be lost on the Prime Minister. After being dazzled and duchessed by Trump, and that's the way Malcolm Turnbull puts it, the Australian leader, well, he was played off a break. Morrison's eager buying into Trump's COVID China blame game drew heavy retaliation that wasn't in fact visited on the United States. Mm, So you're saying Australia isn't managing its relationship with China as well as the United States is? Well, consider this, Ruby. Trump in January signed the Phase 1 trade deal 
where China undertook to buy $200 billion worth of American farm produce and other goods. Already, American agriculture exports have risen 70% at the expense of Australian farmers. One former senior diplomat told me we may well see wine from California or lobsters from Maine or grains from the American Midwest replace Australian exports. Trump, this diplomat noticed, didn't walk away from this deal at any of his giant campaign rallies where he, of course, demonised China. Of course, the fact is the economies of China and the United States are enmeshed in a way that makes them mutually interdependent, in a much bigger way, I should say, than is the case for China with Australia. Former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, now president of the prestigious Asia Society think tank in New York, says China is pursuing a highly systematic strategy to close the gap with the United States, economically, militarily and technologically. But Rudd believes Xi Jinping plans to consolidate his position as paramount leader in China and to be around for at least another decade, pursuing not so much his assertive foreign policy, but his aggressive foreign policy. And if that's the case, it'll be a challenge requiring a better performance from the Morrison government than we've seen so far. Paul, as always, pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks, Ruby. Bye. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today, South Australia has recorded two new coronavirus cases in the past day, and both are believed to be linked to the existing Parafield cluster. One of the cases was linked to the Woodville Pizza Bar. The state's short-lived hard lockdown was initially caused by the government believing that the virus had spread to casual contacts of the pizza bar. And the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, has admitted that $140 million in grants awarded to councils in the lead-up to the last state election were effectively pork-barrelling, but said there was nothing illegal about it. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto and Michelle Macklem. Elle Marsh is our features and field producer in a position supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. Subscribe in your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week.